Good morning. Um, it has been um, both fun and enlightening to go through the book of Exodus. And uh, I feel like with this, we're approaching some of the business end of what we've been looking at. God has seen people suffering as slaves in Egypt. He has acted uh, with justice and mercy and powerfully and mightily to save them from oppression. And he has led them. Uh, first out of Egypt, then across the Red Sea on dry land. And then he's fed them with bread, which they pick from the floor every morning, which is an incredible thing. Uh, he's fed them with meat, with birds that don't fly. They can catch them very easily. Um, he's led them to springs. And there was one place with 12 springs, you know, an abundance of water. In the midst of all of that, these same people have grumbled against him at different points. You know, why did you take us away from the place where we were slaves to bring us out here where there's no bread and no meat and no water? And his answer was generosity on generosity on generosity. But then the question now becomes, why? Why, why get these people and keep them and lead them? Why? Is he showing off? You know, I am the Lord. I can send frogs and turn water into blood, a whole river. Yeah. No, actually. There is something afoot. There's something afoot. And to, to, to connect these people to the longer story that's gone on before, you need to just go back a, a couple of generations to where you meet Abraham and God's promise that he wants blessing to flood the earth. Blessing to flood the earth. And Abraham's descendants are going to be blessing to the earth. You need to go back a few steps to where you meet Noah, and God looks upon the earth, and there's just things that are not good going on, and he wants a change. And he saves a remnant through whom he's going to fill the earth again with stuff that is good. And so when he rescues Israel... He's rescuing them from a world that has slaves. So it's not as blessed as he intended for it to be. He's rescuing, it from, he's rescuing them from uh, slavery in a world that has nations where they sacrifice their children on rocks. It's not a blessed world. So what does he say to Israel now that they've been in the desert for three months? He says, you yourselves have seen what I, do, what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, and here comes the mandate, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, if your priest does nothing, are they a good priest or a bad priest? You can answer this. That's okay. I know Richard's here. You can ignore it. <laughs> if your priest does nothing, like you come in, something's gone on in your life, they're having their coffee, you're sitting right next to them weeping. If they do nothing, are they a good priest? No. They have to do something, don't they? Um, if your priest... Uh, doesn't do good 
let's say, he's not, he's, okay, he's not doing nothing, but now he's actually doing something that's not good. Are they a good priest? No. Why? There's something symbolic about the, the role of a priest. They, they are supposed to carry an idea with them. They're supposed to example a life. When, when I was going through the discernment process for being a priest, one of the things they said to us in the books that I was reading is, you inhabit two worlds. One is the world um, that everybody lives in. You're supposed to be like everybody else, which I try hard to be, uh, and I think I over-succeed. And the other world, which I really struggle to occupy really well, is the world of the scriptures. So your job is to stand here and help this world understand that world. But the reality is these two are the same. And actually, to live well here, you need to understand what's going on here. Here. So God's calling these people, drawing them out, and that's been the motif. You know, when he looks to the dust and he sees everything else, he calls from the dust a person. When he looks across the earth and he sees a lot going on that's not good, he calls from amidst all of them a man and says to him, build this boat because I need, I need to save something. When he looks across and he sees Babylon and he calls Abraham out of there, come out because I need, I need you to come and be mine so that I can teach you what it is like for humanity to reflect me and for there to be blessing on the earth so that you can be my priest on the earth. So he looks and he sees his people, Abraham's descendants in slavery in Egypt, and his plan hasn't changed. These are my people. They're the ones I have chosen who I want to demonstrate to the world what a place that follows the way of God, looks to God first, looks like. What are people who follow the way of God and look to God first looks like. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I say that to introduce what we're going to be doing over the next uh, couple of Fridays, which is looking at the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are the instructions that God gives to these people to give them a way of living that will separate them, separate them from the people who are around them, who have many gods, who perhaps don't honor their mother and father as they should, who have many wives and covet their neighbor's possessions, who do murder. The way of being a chosen people requires self-limitation. Self-limitation that's God-centered. And so for today, we'll put that to say we'll look into what God asks of his people over the next 10 Fridays, but first here, let's look at the holiness of this God. Let's look at the holiness of this God. He has demonstrated with power that he is one, the creator, two, the one who is able to save. And now he wants to show them something of how 
they should revere his name, how they should respond to him. And so you have this dialogue where Moses gathered at the foot of the mountain and God says to Moses, you come up, but tell them, here's the barrier. Here's the barrier. The beginning of what we find in the temple. Here's the barrier. For you to be a holy people to interact with me, there is one thing that I need you to do. I need you to go, consecrate yourselves, wash, be ready. Go, separate yourself from certain things. Do the work of repentance. Get to know who you are so that when you come before me, you're aware that you're coming before a holy God who is the maker of heaven and earth. And you're ready to receive the instructions, undistracted, because if you're still worried about some of the other things, you're not going to hear some of what I have to say. Go separate yourselves from the things that draw your priority so that when you come, you are ready to hear from me. If what Jesus says to the man who wants to bury his father is, let the dead bury their own dead. Why? Consecrate yourself. You will not be ready to hear what I have to say to you, the instructions on how to live your life so that you can be a priest and a blessing to the world. If you are distracted, if you are bothered about other things than what I'm about to tell you. So go do the laundry if that's what it needs for you to do. You have three days. You know, go assess your finances if that's what you need to do. You have three days. But when you come here, when you come before me to this holy place, ready to listen, you need to be ready to listen. Because I am the Lord. And this is why I have saved you. So that I can tell you who you should be. And as my people on this earth, you can example for the earth how they should be. So he sets them up to prepare And then they prepare, and they come before the mountain. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So they go and they have this event, and it's an occasion for all of them to remember. The Lord descended to the top of the mountain and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Remember, this is a holy place. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. Then the Lord replied, go down, bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. God is holy. Wait for his invitation. When he is ready, he'll invite you to come. Otherwise, chill. So Moses went down to the people and told them, and then the Ten Commandments come. Um, Why is this important for us? Where do we stand in this story? Um, I see here a simple parallel between what we have happening for the Israelites 
and what we have happening for us in Christ. Fast forward a few generations. Do these people who receive the Ten Commandments fulfill them? No, they do not. They do not. They receive them. They have them. They try to live by them. But actually, the story of Israel is one of failure upon failure upon failure upon failure upon failure until they land themselves in Babylon. Failure upon failure upon failure upon failure. And what does God do? He doesn't stop with his plan. And in the midst of all those failures, you have promise after promise from God through Samuel to David and then through the rest of the prophets to the people while they're in Babylon that I am still in this business of gathering the people to myself, giving them the same mandate to be a blessing to the world. That is the business. And so you have now the one who was prophesied to be greater than Moses who comes and he dies on the cross to save people like me and you from a world where death is king. And on the third day, guess what happens when the soldiers are watching the tomb? <laughs> exactly. He rises. The stone is rolled away. And God has now moved from the top of the mountain to the midst of the people. But has he changed what he's saying? No. His story is still the same. What have I done? Have I done it just to show off? No. I have saved you for a reason. I have saved you for a purpose, to be a royal priesthood, to be a holy nation, to be those who look at what the scripture says, what the word of God says, what the Ten Commandments say, what the, the, the two that Jesus says sum up the law and the prophets, and then to look at the life you're living, to constantly be in the space of consecrating yourself so that you may hear what the Lord has to say, and then coming and living that life. to hear from God that you have been set free, but not because he shows off, but because the world you're living in needs you to be a priest to it, to reflect the desires of a holy God for his people. Um, what, what does a good priest do? That is the question. Does he sit around or does he love his neighbor? What does a good priest do? Does he listen to the commands of God in scripture? Does he read and study those and keep them on the table of their heart or not? Here's a better question. Do all good priests need dog colors? No. No, because all of us are called by God and saved for that purpose. So my hope as we enter into the space of looking at the Ten Commandments is that we catch the story of Israel so far and enter into it as our story at this point. We hear the call of God and anointing on these people as a call of God and an anointing on us. And though we are few here, actually the impact of us ministering as God's priests and holy nation in the spaces that we occupy, I think is going to be fantastic because each one of us, at least, at the very least, is connected to five or six people. And if they can learn what it's like 
to live a godly life, the kingdom of God will continue to grow. So I will close by asking us to just spend a minute in prayer and begin that journey of consecration to ask perhaps whether there there are certain things that are in the way of us uh, living that life that listens to God and responds to what he says, that listens to God and loves like he does, that listens to God and is in the way of rectifying some of the problems that we see in the world and the spaces that we occupy. And maybe by his Holy Spirit, God might show you one or two people who specifically you're supposed to be that priest who will sit and perhaps listen to, who will sit and perhaps pray for, who will perhaps go and teach the way of the Lord. They may be little people, they may be big people. Is that okay? So let's pray. Dear God and Father of mankind, forgive our sinful ways. Dear God, our Redeemer, free us from those spaces that are oppressed or held down. Dear God, our provider, where we need water or bread, would you fill us and teach us to trust you? Dear God, who calls us, would you prepare our hearts to hear from you? Dear God, who sends us, Would you reveal to us those to whom you have called us to be priests over? And Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, strengthen us, encourage us, challenge us, and teach us the way of priestly living. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.